Welcome to Tech on Reg, the podcast that explores all things at the intersection of law, technology, and high-regulated industry. We're talking fintech, regtech, sextech, and more with thought leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to share insights, trade viewpoints, and get us all thinking about responsible innovation. And here is your host, Dara Tukowski. Happy New Year, Tech on Reg listeners. We're so excited to be back after a short hiatus. Um, and what better way to start our new year than talking about compliance and the great state of California, since it's always been such a friendly regulatory environment. Before we jump into it, thank you so much to our sponsor, BAI. If you are a financial institution or servicer to a financial institution, you know that Regulation F went into effect on November 30th. And what does that mean? That means new training. Well, lucky for you, that's one of BAI's specialties. Check out BAI's new non-bank course curriculum track with special content focused on Regulation F, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, and the rest of the alphabet soup that non-bank financial institutions need to be all caught up to speed on. Thank you once again to BAI for your continued support. Now, today's topic, the great state of California and its relatively new Department of Financial Protection and Innovation. Here to discuss who they're protecting and what they're innovating, we've got two California natives, experts and professionals. Mark Neyman, president of Absolute Resolutions Corporations and member of the California Department's, what is it, the Consumer uh, Advisory Board, uh, and Lauren Valenzuela, uh, counsel at Actuate Law LLC, an in-house compliance expert. Welcome to the show, guys and gal. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. All right, so DFPI, what do they say they do? They say that the intended mission of the organization is to provide protection to consumers and services to businesses engaged in financial transactions. They regulate a lot, uh, a lot of which has been regulated before, but there are some new business types that they seek to regulate as well. So I thought it would be great to start out with Lauren, if you could give us a brief overview of what the organization is and what they're up to right now. Oh, sure. So the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, DFPI, formerly known as California's Department of Business Oversight, um, gained expanded authority over providers of consumer financial products and services as of January 1st, 2021. Um, A significant source that expanded its authority was the California Consumer Financial Protection Law, CCFPL, so many words um, so many so <laughs> many words could like they so maybe words. like pass a statute that has less words yes. in the future like say yeah. what you will about the cfpb but like i'm down reg f so short it, it's so short <laughs> it's short yeah no, sorry to is, interrupt that's okay we're just more more alphabet soup here so we've got the the ccfpl um really gave the dfpi <laughs> broad jurisdiction sweeping new powers and authorities um, including some things that were familiar to us in the industry, such as UDAP authority. Um, it closely resembles the Federal uh, Federal Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. <laughs> and as a result, the DFPI has been labeled the mini CFPB. 
because we needed another one, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, we de- California specifically. We we needed another one. Um, so Mark, you uh, have obviously been working in the financial services industry uh, and receivables management for for decades. I'm not going to say how many decades because I like to be very respectful of my guests, but. You've taken on a new role this year, and I think I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about what that is. Absolutely. So the DFPI put out requests for those that either operated debt buyers or collection agencies or collection law firms or other vendors within the state of California to join the Collection Advisory Board, which would help the DFPI identify uh, both areas of concern Uh, and areas of focus as they moved into attempting to regulate, attempting to license, and attempting to provide some level of oversight uh, to the industry. As you had mentioned before, uh, the CFPB, a lot of analogous behavior in the sense that early on uh, in in my involvement with with other trade associations, Receivables Management uh, International, uh, lobbying Washington on behalf of an industry that was undergoing a lot of the same types of scrutiny. And so as a member of this board, it's it's our job to provide insight, to answer questions, and to bridge the gap oftentimes between the business owners, not just in the state of California, um, but, but overall within the industry and the in this case, state level regulators that are attempting to ensure that there's a level of consumer protection uh, that that may not have existed to the to the extent that they wish. And, and so, that, and and that, by the way, is because this expanded authority um, under the CCFPL actually extended authority that the California uh, the state did not have previously. So, Lauren, quiz time. I'm going to do this to you throughout the episode, okay. so just, you know, but I, I'm, I'm warning you now. Under the CCFPL, which of the following businesses were to expect additional oversight authority in California? Is it A, debt collectors? Is it B, national banks? Is it C, payday lenders? Or D, fintech companies? Ooh, so trick trick question, because there's actually two answers there. <laughs> uh, we've got are you, debt are, you, are you accusing me of trickery? <laughs> Lauren, is that what's happening? <laughs> We've got uh, CCFPL covering debt collectors and fintech companies. So this is a, a definite shift from the past. And the new law allows oversight for persons offering or providing consumer financial products or services in California. And it's got broad discretion really to determine what a financial product or service is. So, so it's interesting though, is like, they just don't want any old fintechs, right? Right, Mark? They just don't want any old fintechs. What kind of fintechs Right. But again, I'm sure mature. I'm not, I'm the only non-attorney. What was that word? word? I said, I think mature was the word Mm -hmm. I used. Look, I am not an attorney. Let me get that disclaimer out very quickly. Um, No one would ever accuse you of that, Mark. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, (laughs) That being said, um, you know, it's it's difficult when you when you look to find only the most mature within a fairly new industry as someone that has been in this industry of accounts receivable for a few decades. Thank you, Dara. Um, I think you see massive change, as with all things. But that being said, um, 
you're not going to find a whole lot of companies that are older than 30 years old. That's still pretty young in the in the greater scheme of things. And so I think that to limit um, it to only fintech companies that have been around for five years, I think you're really starting to limit that that scope of of who you can talk to. And and in some ways, I think that that's that's a bit of a detriment to business in California in general, stimulating that business economy. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you agree with that, but, um, you know, it certainly isn't becoming easier to do business in the state of California. Well, so it's interesting because I also understand from a regulatory perspective that regulators only want established, you know, stable businesses interacting with you know their uh, their residents and the popu- and the population of the state. I-, I can have an appreciation for that. It just seems to me that the notion that we want only mature companies is really, really, I think, at odds with many of the other uh, regular state level regulatory jurisdictions, and uh, I mean a handful in the United States, and then even many of the other innovation sandboxes that you see abroad. Whereas we don't want to limit regulation and interaction with just mature companies, we want to talk with the companies that are developing interesting financial products and services um, early. And we want to talk to them early because we want to help them develop uh, you know, products in a compliant way. We don't want them to do all of this work and then five years later slap them with a fine. So you know, that sort of tension as compared to, you know, states like Arizona, for example, that have an innovation sandbox that are only designed for very immature financial services companies, right? Like it becomes like very red state, blue state. Am am I wrong? Lauren, what do you think? I think you make an excellent point that there's really a missed opportunity there when you kind of limit it to mature companies. You're right. What does that even, what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know that they're very responsible and they don't miss their curfew. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. And in, in this day and age, when you have a lot of experienced people just in the industry, they move around, they start companies and it doesn't, that's not a reflection of, um, you know, how mature or immature an organization is. You really have to look at the people behind the organization. You have to look at what they're doing. Um, so it, that that's unfortunate that California has that approach. And I, and I hope they rethink it. I really do. Well, maybe, uh, you know, the Mark, let's go back to sort of the education focus about what you were what you were talking about and what's supposed to be one of the purposes of the Consumer Protection Council, right? The Consumer Protection Council is from from what you know you and I had previously discussed, really comprised of some consumer advocate. That's important. That perspective is important. But then a lot of really established industry professionals. And perhaps through that process, there can be sort of like an evolution to that mindset. Talk to me. So I know, I think you guys have only had two meetings so far. That's what, that's what the statute sort of allows for. Yeah. So I know we've got to be very careful and you can't, you know, get into too much detail or, or express too many opinions, but I'm really interested into what those, what that experience has looked like thus far, less than a year. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And, and, and I appreciate that. As you know, these are, um, you know, I can't speak on any particular activities of the association itself or the, of the of of the the state association and those that serve on it. We're volunteers, and I and and I take that position seriously in the sense that I know that 
the only way forward is to is is to try to ensure and i mentioned it before that the unintended consequences of of right intended legislation doesn't run awry um and i i know it's look speaking quite honestly it's a it's a slow process i i wish i could say that these things happen much quicker um but it took several years of meetings with the cfpb um, and that's not a that's not a, in any way a detraction of the capabilities of anyone at the state or in the federal instance when I'm speaking to the CFPB or the people that are on the panel. Um, highly, highly intelligent industry leaders that are all trying to find what that right solution is. As I think you can appreciate, we oftentimes are having to battle off the worst case scenarios within the space. And, and what I mean by that is, is that if you take your car to a mechanic um, and, and he does work on your car, that, that individual has the ability to get certain certifications that ensure that he maintains a, a kind of baseline standard. I think that the intention of this licensure, the intention of establishing this baseline for those that are in the financial services industry is well-intentioned. Um, there's several very clever puns I could use here, roads to certain places regarding good intentions. But what I can tell you is there's no other way forward for someone like me. As a business owner that's been in the state for 20 years, um, it's not a it's not a beat em type thing. It's it's you must be part of the process. And I think that being part them. of that process you must well, join that's them. right to some extent, and, and you can have differing opinions and, and you can serve to try to educate as much as you can. But really, at the end of the day, every one of the co-panelists or, or the, the other members of this advisory board have run businesses in this state for many, 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 many years. Um, and, and they're on the forefront of not just providing the, the best consumer experience, but ensuring that they only do business with people that that have that same level of ethical responsibility. And so... That's all we can do. And, and that's, you know, I feel like we were successful when we, you know, the, the kind of accumulation of really talented people in this space went to the CFPB on their own time. You know, we're not getting paid for this. Um, you know, we're not, you know, the only way we benefit is, is when all ships rise. And I think that every one of the co-panelists has that same approach and just has a little bit different perspective. So you mentioned licenses. Um, I think this is a great segue into talking about when the DFPI opened up its licensing applications for these new uh, organizations to apply for licensure that had not been previously regulated in the state, my understanding is, is that there was quite the influx. Lauren, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so this is pretty interesting. On December 23rd, um, the DFPI published um, something that said, hey, they, we acknowledge a slowdown in the processing of, of, li of licenses on NMLS. We're aware of the problem. Um, if you, know, you weren't able to submit yours on time because of the system, that um, they're not going to take any action against you. And they're working actively to identify those people that were making a good faith effort to attempt to apply, <laughs> but could it be? I mean, like, system? I mean, like, right, like system went boom. Yeah, the system. Went boom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that's really telling in the sense that there are organizations that are a lot of organizations that are are trying to comply that have a, making a good faith effort 
to comply. And so I think that that is um, pretty telling that, hey, we're, we all want to do the right thing. I mean, that's encouraging. Uh, Mark, is it your sense that the uh, that the regulating body also took it as just like this really positive sign that like so many companies are desperate to comply with the laws of the great state of California? That's a tough one. That's a tough one to answer because quite honestly, oh, I don't This was a really know. loaded question. That's it's not, it's not it's something that they brought up on the call. But one of the things, let me ask, because I, I know you like challenging with you know, the, the questions, the multiple choice. And so let me pose one to you as attorneys regarding, okay. and, and this is something I've run across in, in, in a few instances, and this is just friends in the state that have called and said, like, do we need to apply for this? But if you have an attorney that's that's doing unlawful detainer work for um, a, a major bank client, are they acting in a collections behalf? Now, they're not really um, you know, collecting the debts themselves. They're simply communicating on behalf of the first party. But this is what I can tell you. Every attorney I know in the space that does it ran out and got a license because, again, nobody wants to be running afoul of state law. And, and so I think that this is a good indication. Whether or not they see it as a good indication, I can't really comment on. What I can tell you is, well, it this whole, that whole debate, that whole debate harkens back to early days of CFPB and the entire notion about whether or not um, a federal uh, governmental body or any governmental body for that matter ought to be regulating independently licensed attorneys who are already regulated by their each state that they are barred and licensed in and have, you know, continuing learning education requirements. And there's all sorts of hoops that Lauren and I have to jump through to keep our licenses in good standing. Um, and we have a regulating body who we have to report to where if we screw up and we screw up badly enough, they take that license away. Right. And that's yeah. been happening since since attorneys pra like began practicing law. It's ye old England. There, there was always sort of like that, that <laughs> licensing uh, regime, because the American jurisprudence system was a product of civil law uh, and common law in England. But the point being is that that question has been the subject of debate, the subject of litigation, the subject of all sorts of things. And most, I think, lawyers in the space are like, we are not going to do this again with the state of California. So yeah, we're just going to go get licensed and we're going to eat it. Yeah. And it brings up a whole host of interesting conversation, especially regarding um, changes. You know, another thing that's popped up a lot is, is that one of the requirements is to have the licensing number on any document that leaves your office. And so you have these state generated forms, court forms or court filings that don't have a space for that. And you've got attorneys that are now reaching out and trying to get this clarity. And look, I, I there is no idealistic answer. What I can tell you is I'm glad I've got a seat at the table because at the end of the day, the only other option is there's no table and, and there's no seat for anyone to give some input on. And so while it's not moving as fast as I'd like it as a private business owner, I still fully appreciate the intention overall and, and what we're trying to accomplish. So Lauren, question for you. Very, very much appreciate sort of the perspective that, yes, it's a good sign that people um, are applying for licenses. So many of them were applying for licenses that we crashed the system. And some people who tried to apply for licenses aren't yet able to or get them. And it's great that the department's acknowledged it. Um, but all of that being said, 
tell, I mean, tell me about your experience, the clients that you work with. I mean, are people just like kind of exhausted? <laughs> yes. So one of my biggest concerns just being in this industry and being an advocate for this industry is we are seeing a slew of compliance changes and requirements um, at not not only at the federal level, but at the state level, most importantly, and not limited to California. I mean, companies are having to navigate changes from New York, you know, um, New Mexico, Nevada, California. I can go on and on and Washington, on. To DC. Washington, DC. I can go on and on and on. And with all of these rapid changes, it, com it creates compliance fatigue. And it's really hard on organizations when they're trying to do their best to operationalize all these nuances that each state and locality has. Um, and they've come in really rapid succession in the last 12 months um, and it's not letting up. And so um, personally, I-, I Even I the have... most mature organizations, right, Mark? Yeah. Okay, yeah. come on, hey, easy. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm a guy that's been doing this. It's, it, it's par for the course. It's become par for the course. This is this is par for the course for the last eight years. So and I, I, so I was I was a little bit I was snarky on purpose. I'm always snarky I know, on purpose. Of course. But like I'm snarky on purpose. But the reason I say that is that because even for the most mature organizations, even for organizations that have very sophisticated yeah. compliance and corporate governance structures, this is very complicated, very expensive, and very exhausting. I think it is crippling for small businesses absolutely crippling for small businesses who may not have the wherewithal to withstand the type of compliance fatigue um that lauren just uh that lauren just described yet those small businesses are often some of like the most productive profitable employers right in not just the state of california but like but all over the country it's a it's a problem I, I you operate a small as, business, Mark. Do you know anything about that? Not only do I operate the small business, but I'm I my, you know my kids are fifth generation San Diegans and and Californians and and so um, it, I said it earlier, and that's not a comment on any advisory boards I serve on, but it's very difficult to run a business in California, especially over the last two years where you've seen an almost exodus out of the state. And a lot of that is a result, not just of the pandemic, but of housing costs and, and kind of this calibration that's been taking place across the country. Um, it, it, it's, it's very difficult. Now, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still here several decades later, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that I think it's important as we've seen in other states. Look, New York, anyone, DC, anyone. Um, these are other states where there is almost a constant push for regulation. Did we mention Massachusetts or, you know, these are- I mean, like, I don't even, there's like we, not even a point in mentioning the no, state of Massachusetts. But, 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 but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to kind of just leave it all behind, right? I, I think that that's the wrong approach. I think that to, uh, and, and I've heard a lot of people that are like, this is ridiculous. I, this is too much regulation. To me, uh, unfortunately, it's you've, you've got to be part of the conversation. And, and regardless of sure. whether or not that I mean, conversation the, always the, goes your way, um, I think that history will, will show that there is involvement and there is uh, a certain degree of osmosis that takes place. Uh, and, but but it's only through 
more contact. And, and that's the one thing that I know that all of the members of the advisory committee have, have been pressing for is we want more meetings. We want the ability to answer these questions as opposed to just having a biannual meeting where we have an hour to discuss some things. And again, those meetings are public. They're available. Uh, the first one I know is available. I don't think the second one is up just yet, but should be soon. So guys, it, listeners, if you really love Mark Naiman's voice, you should go on the interwebs and you should download the recording of that meeting because you will get to hear more of it. It's um, not much. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's pretty <laughs> He's so modest, listeners. He's so modest. Um, so we're talking about staying or not staying in a, in a state that's really sort of like regulation heavy. The truth of the matter is, is we have seen on the FinTech side, definitely, we have seen somewhat of of an exodus, whereas where at one point in time, if you were a fintech who wanted to do anything or be anyone or, or, you know, uh, be, you know, be known in, in the industry, it was California in Silicon Valley, or it was New York. That's not true anymore. And I do think yeah. the regulatory environment has a lot to do with it. So Lauren, where are our clients going? Where are the fintechs going? Yeah, we're seeing them go to, you know, Nashville, Miami. Um, in fact, Actuate just opened an office there because it is kind of a, a growing fintech scene. I'm so um, proud so of you. I'm so proud of you right now, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, so yeah, Miami, uh, Austin, Nashville, we're seeing those areas um, kind of encourage businesses, encourage innovation. And I think that you know, that's something that California should pay attention to. I know that they have a big focus on innovation. In fact, they even put it in their rebranded name of the department. But um, can, we but, talk, can, we talk, can we talk about that for, yeah, for just a second? Because this has, come up in, this has come up in a number of conversations I've had about digital currency. So having a lot of conversations about digital currency, crypto, different deployments of blockchain technology, um, and there have been questions like, is this the agency that's actually going to try to adopt a licensing structure for virtual currency? And the answer is like, well, uh, sort of, maybe, kind of, we're not sure, but we are going to establish an office of financial technology innovation. That's what we're going to do. That's why, you know, we are required to establish that office. Do we have any idea what that office is going to do? Because I thought... It hurts my brain because I don't understand how we can in one, in one breath say we only want mature fintech companies and in the other one we're saying, no, 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 we're going to have a technology innovation office. What does that mean? How do we reconcile it? Mark, what do you think? I mean, look, what I think is as a, first of all, as a, as a massive nerd, self-proclaimed um, You're in good I company. Think, so are all I, of the listeners. Hey, I, I think it's important to once again understand that I, I think, and this isn't anything because none of these topics have really come up on our calls, but from a California resident, from a business owner, from someone that looks at these types of things on a regular basis, uh, what I can tell you is I think everyone, not just state, but but federal is really doing the best they can to wrap their arms around what that truly means. I, I don't think many of them have a strong understanding of the long-term application of a lot of this because more often than not, I feel that there is a certain amount of dilution that takes place. Uh, and that's just simply a result uh, very similar to how there's almost a, a regulatory overload or exhaustion that you mentioned. Uh, 
I don't think you can even drive on a freeway in California without seeing several billboards for CryptoSomething.com. And 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 I think that I, I think that's a really interesting testament. I think it's a really interesting snapshot in time and 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 from an emerging market technology, it's hard for me as a California resident to, to balance whether or not they're really interested in, in, in helping consumers in that regard, or if they're just really trying to figure out how to taxably get a percentage of that. And I'm, I'm staying neutral politically here, but I mean, I, I truly believe that's what it comes down to since these are non-banked assets. Maybe Switzerland. I, I- Thank you. I appreciate that. I do think I think I think many many states are sort of waiting to see what the SEC is ultimately going to do and the different buckets of, you know, uh, you know, tokens that truly act as currency versus tokens that actually function more like securities because not all tokens are created equal and um again, massive opportunity for education should probably, you know, if if that's something that the department wants to do, I definitely think they should open a spot or two on that council for some blockchain and crypto uh, experts to make, if, if, if the goal is to avoid unintended consequences of regulation, that's going to be a massively critical and important part of the educational process, I think, for, for the state. I agree with that. And Mark Naiman is a hard no on San Diego coin, just in case you were curious. I know that was probably the question coming up later. No San, no San Diego coin? No San Diego coin. Bad idea. All well, right. I, I think that's a good point, though, because a well-informed industry is a compliant industry. So there's got to be communication there. Lauren, you should put that on a t-shirt. I will. I'll do it. <laughs> um. So... We're, we've been talking about like the future a lot, what we expect to see, what the licensing uh, regime is going to look like. Why don't we spend a few minutes talking about what the department has actually done um, in the past 12 months? Mark, I think you were uh, discussing earlier with us um, some enforcement actions that the department actually did already bring um, yeah, so in its first year of existence. Right out of the gate, we saw back in September of 2021 that they moved against a California I believe it was a collection agency, and, and all of this information is publicly available on the DFPI website. Um, so they did take some action, and, and, and I believe they've also most recently taken some action kind of in the student loan space. And admittedly, I am not as well-versed on some of that. Those are not the verticals that, that I have a tremendous amount of experience in in my few decades. So I, I actually thought by the so way, so you're right, it was in the student loan space, but it was about a student loan debt relief product. Correct. Um, so in the same, right, in the same sort of like a quarter, we'll say they also, equal opportunity, I appreciate it. They brought, they brought action against those who were trying to collect it and those who were allegedly trying to relieve consumers of, of their loan obligations. One had to do with sort of like typical collection practices and the other on the debt relief activities had to do, um, uh, it was a combination of the Student Loan Servicing Act and the telemarketing sales rule about collecting advanced fees for these products and services that are allegedly helping consumers, but um, many studies have, have, have demonstrated that they can actually be just as, if not more predatory than, than payday loans, quite frankly. Uh, so I just love to comment on this, that really quickly, because in my former life working in-house, it was quite astonishing how often, and this is anecdotally, but how often I found predatory practices with these companies that are supposedly helping consumers when yeah. you really tried to work with them, they really didn't care. 
And so it's refreshing to see in that sense, California kind of take an eye on, okay, on these relief type of companies. And I hope they continue to do that because at the end of the day, there are a lot of predatory practices there. And, and I saw them on the other side when we were really trying to help consumers get to the bottom of their issues and, and get resolution. So that's refreshing. Yeah. I mean, so issue, issues like that have, uh, have been like the FTC, for example, has been bringing enforcement actions, um, against these types of companies under the telemarketing sales rule, illegal advanced fees, you know, hey, consumer, pay me, pay me this fee to help get rid of and or consolidate your debt when in reality, you know, they're, um, you know, they're, was, making, they're making promises they can't yeah, keep about yeah, how it's Or they were back. charging for services that are free. All the consumer had to do is call the agency and the agency would have helped them, <laughs> you know, um, so. Wait, say that one more time for people in the cheap seats. Say it again, oh, Lauren. Hey, consumer, saying, any, any consumer who's listening to the show right now, what do you need to do? Call the collection agency. They'll help you for free. They They'll will help you. They will they help help you. you. Yes. Um, all right. Terrific. Okay. So one of the other sort of goals uh, that's my understanding for DFPI is they really, they, they are trying to encourage particular types of behavior. Um, in the state and from businesses that that do business in the state. Uh, Mark, why don't you talk to me a little bit about that? What do they want? What do they really want from businesses? I think they want, and, and I think we touched on this a little bit in the sense that what they're really seeking from businesses is a better understanding of how their consumers and and the protection of consumers within the state to ensure that there's no uniform misrepresentation of fees, charges, or other associated costs with the lending process. And, and, and again, it's, it's difficult because in the two calls we've had so far, we haven't really touched on any of these real-world application situations. And, and I know I keep going back to uh, discussing things like meaningful involvement with the CFPB, but it's easy to do because there were we had several meetings concerning meaningful involvement. Um, in this particular instance, I find that we lack some of that focus as an advisory board. I know what the intent is based upon the things I read online. And I think that that intent is, again, to ensure fair and equitable treatment across all goods and services for those that fall under the umbrella of the DFPI. Back to the good intentions, though. The focus of that needs to be forged out. And I think you only see that over time, unfortunately. There is no, there is no quick path because I think in many ways, it's important for them to try and balance action, things that are taking place uh, as the months transpire, as well as education. And unfortunately, I don't think the education is quite as flashy or exciting as the enforcement. And so as much as I'd like to have a weekly meeting, I appreciate that that's not, that's not, a, that's not an easy thing to accomplish. Not yet anyway. Um, one of the one of the aspects of uh, DFPI that I find pretty interesting is, you know, sort of the the thought and desire, uh, particularly for fintech companies, to sort of apply for, 
these industrial bank charters, this new type of bank charter that might exist in California, not terribly dissimilar than the type of charter that the OCC was advocating for at the federal level, which ironically, several years ago when the OCC was doing that, the states threw a fit, right? The states threw an absolute fit. And now California is like, well, that wasn't such a terrible idea. Maybe we should create a path for us to be able to do this too, because we want some of that money. Like they, and now they sort of like want a piece of the action. Um, no fault, like no fault there. That was one aspect that I actually found quite encouraging, right? That um, you are going to actually create a path for a fintech to operate more similarly to a bank without the same sorts of the same sorts of national bank safety and soundness requirements and all of these things because it's truly tailored to what the company does um, and not about deposits and FDIC insurance and, and things of that nature. Um, so that part was kind of interesting to me. It's, some, it's something I definitely want to watch. Um, and if it actually bears out to, to be a viable path um, for, at the beginning, it will have to be mature fintechs, but hopefully it'll open up to, to more fintechs. I actually think that might be one aspect where they're trying to, all of that, you know, exodus from the state, they might be trying to like suck back in a little bit because that that's a unique thing that isn't available um, in many states for for fintechs. They and they really just have to rely almost solely on the consumer lending licenses or supervise or supervised lender licenses that are available elsewhere. Um, we're getting really close uh, to wrap up time, but before we do, I want to hear from both of our guests about like sort of final thoughts on California DFPI. What's in store for twenty twenty two? And if our listeners remember nothing else, they'll remember this. I think, who am I going to be mean to first? I'm going to be mean to Lauren first. So Lauren's got to go. All right. Um, I would, I'll say this. I'll say, I know that it's a, it's a, a time where we're kind of seeing how things are going to shake out. Um, be vigilant in watching what the DFPI does. Um, like Mark says, stay involved. Um, when there's an opportunity to comment on things, take advantage of it. Um, and also just hang in there. <laughs> I know there's a lot of compliance fatigued, but hang in there. We're all in this together. And um, we've got a great industry full of people willing to help each other and figure this out together. So it's our time to shine in the sense of we'll just be resilient and, and figure it out together. And so, and so hang in there. That's what I'll say to everybody. <laughs> Oh my God, that should be like the slogan for 2022, like in general, like just in general, not even about DFPI, just in general. Um, (laughs) For those of you who are listening audio only, like Mark just made like the little like hanging on sign from like the kitty posters that like we used to put in our rooms when we were in- Inspirational. I still have that in my office. Motivational, motivational. Hang in there, a little kitty cat. All right, Mark, your turn. Last, last thing, what I can say is be meaningfully involved. See what I did there, attorneys? See I that? like it. I like I it. I think it's important. I, I, it's very hard to, as not just a resident, but as a business owner, to always kind of maintain that, what, another law, another regulation, another license? Um, having done it across all 50 states, and look, there's a lot of people on this committee that are California-based only. Uh, as someone that's been in California, but that has a national presence, um, 
I've seen the seeds that were planted in states like North Carolina several years ago where we have obsolescent statues. And as much as um, there was an outrage and, a, and, and angry uh, talk and discussion about that, there comes a point where you accept what's happened and you continue to move forward. I think that it's shown time and time again that being involved and, and being part of that education process is a critical component. Uh, you may not always get your way, but I think that, again, being able to rely and, and be part of a, a greater group. It's not just me. It's 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 the publicly traded companies and the and the local law firms and the California law firms and, and, and this um, very variegated group of individuals that is truly an excellent cross segment of people that have been in this state that do business the right way and that are joining this board to make sure that we are equally represented. And as as much of a stigma as as collections as debt buying uh, has taken, I can assure you that those that are part of this panel are truly the upper echelon that have everyone's in this industry's best interest in mind. Okay, so those are excellent words to end on. Thank you both so much uh, for giving me some of your time this afternoon. Uh, for those listeners who are experiencing some compliance fatigue, um, you should totally call Lauren Valenzuela. And for anyone who is curious about what's happening uh, on the Consumer Advisory Committee at the California DFPI, you should definitely get in touch with Mark Naiman. And if you don't know how to do either of those things, it's called LinkedIn. Alternatively, you can contact me and I will make sure that everyone gets in touch. Thank you so much and have an excellent day. Thanks for having us, Dara. Thanks, Dara.